Thank you, Pastor Chad, for that prayer of supplication. And thank you for just being here today and, and participating in this great opportunity we have to worship God. This morning, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. And, and as you're turning there and getting situated in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I, I would like to just read this passage out of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 9. Paul is actually quoting from uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 64, uh, verse 4. Uh, but uh, these words, I know you've probably heard them before, but I think it goes with the context of the message. Paul says, or he's quoting here, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And in this series on the topic of heaven, uh, I think it's so interesting that, you know, the fact is the Bible makes it clear. You know, no one has seen everything. No one has heard everything. You know, it, it's yet to be experienced by man the things that God has prepared for us. And yet God has revealed enough about this wonderful place that we'll call home heaven forever uh, in God's word. And we're going to be looking at that as we have uh, in the past couple messages kind of launching into this series on, on heaven. <clears throat> and I do want to give a uh, just credit where credit is due. Of course, my primary source has been and always will be the Word of God. That's the only place to start when you're talking about matters of faith. But then also God has raised up and gifted certain individuals to, to write uh, knowledgeable pieces that are helpful. And I use these as secondary sources. And, and I want to give credit to Dr. John MacArthur's book, The Glory of Heaven. I highly recommend it for those of you interested in doing further reading. Also, Dr. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. And then Don Stewart's Heaven, The Final Destination for Believers. All three wonderful, very strong biblical sources on, on heaven. I remember I was probably about four years, five years old, um, growing up there in the country. The house, there's an old log house. In fact, it was the very house where I was born, uh, in, in that front room there, uh, as many children were born at home in that day. And, um, and my dad, as, as, as you all know, was a farmer, and, and it was at the end of the day. And, and our family at that time was relatively small. There were only five kids in the family at that time. And so uh, we were just, you know, uh, our usual routine. And I do believe that because of this particular memory and the situation, I believe that, that uh, this was pre-TV. Uh, Brother Roy, it's hard to imagine, Brother Richard, before television. But, yeah, I, I, we didn't even own a television. We'd eaten dinner. It was a usual routine. It was a summer night. We all gathered out there on the front porch, my mom and dad, sitting in the porch swing, kind of swinging lazily and talking. And, and us kids there on the porch, you know, and it was a beautiful summer night. The moon was full. And, and my sisters were taking upon themselves, my two older sisters, Judy and Sue, to entertain the rest of us. This was before American Idol. So they felt like you know they were the best singers. And they tried to imitate the Lennon sisters and what have you. And so <clears throat> they would usually take advantage of that family time on the front porch. In the evenings before we turned in. And nothing else to do. Um, and, and so they, were, they would sing. And so I remember. I remember very clearly. That night the whole the setting. And I remember the song that they sang. Or at least a portion of it. <clears throat> And, and the, it, the words were something like this. How far is heaven? I, I want to know. I miss my daddy who loved me so. How far is heaven? I want to go to see my daddy who loved me so. 
And you know what? I remember crying. Of course, I never told my sisters. But you know, as I laid there and I looked up there in the night sky with the beautiful bright moon reflecting on the few clouds that were in that sky, I, I believe those are the first musings that I had about heaven. And began thinking and questioning, wow, how far is heaven? What must it be like? And you know, my mom and dad, being dedicated Christians and in the Word, would talk to us about heaven. And of course, they talked to us about a lot of things related to the faith. But I'll never forget that song. And if y'all tell my sisters I cried, I'll get you, okay? Uh, let me just remind you that there is a box out there on the uh, information desk, the pastor's question box. Obviously, right now, nobody has any questions about heaven, but that's okay. As we proceed through this series, if you have any questions about heaven that you want to ask, uh, you know, granted, uh, you may stump the preacher, but I've got a pastoral team that I can turn to. But we'll, we'll try our best to answer any of the questions that you have about heaven. But you know, as we think about the subject of heaven and just the word of heaven, the Bible uses the term heaven sometimes symbolically. Uh, I think about over in the uh, Gospel of Luke, there in chapter 15, verse 21, when Jesus is teaching about the prodigal son, the, the parable of the prodigal son. You may recall when that wayward son was making his way back home, and his father, who was waiting for him there on the road, you know, greeted uh, or embraced his son. Do you remember the words of his son? His son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He didn't literally sin against the place of heaven but using the euphemism Jesus was in telling the story said the boy indicated he had sinned against God and sometimes interchangeably in the gospel in the message of John the Baptist and, John, and Jesus where it says you know repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and then at other places repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand so sometimes the word heaven will be used symbolically but the majority of the times it is used in the scriptures to describe a literal place. And I want you to look there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, where you're holding your place right now. In the writing of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, Paul is describing a very unusual experience. And so I'll, I'll just, you read along with me there, beginning in verse 1. In chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, It is doubtless... And not profitable. And in another translation it says, It is necessary though profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelation of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one has, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. You know, I, I said earlier in one of the previous messages, discounting these so-called out of the body after death, go to heaven and come back experiences that people are making buku money off of books and, and films and, and things like that. Listen, if God didn't give Paul permission to come back and write a book just about heaven, or to go around bragging about all the details that he saw in heaven. If God shut his mouth on the subject, let me tell you something. I don't think anybody else has earned the privilege to be talking subjectively about their so-called experiences of going to heaven and back. If you want a good source on the, on, the, on the topic of heaven, you've got it right there in your hand. If it's a Gideon's, that's great. But it's the Bible. 
Okay, the Bible is the only true source on the matter, subject of heaven. Verse 5, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. And Paul will get to that later in this chapter. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I forbear, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So in this, you see Paul made a reference there to third heaven, which helps us to understand that there are, as far as the scriptures are concerned, there are multiple references to heaven. Or better said, there are references to multiple heavens. Paul says, in, out of the body, in the body, whoever this person was, and we, we suspect it was the Apostle Paul, just being humble, but in this vision, was elevated to the third heaven. We're going to talk about those three heavens, okay? And, and that's what I want you to see. I thought it was interesting in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Seeing then that we have a high, great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, plural, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So let me just help you to understand that when the scripture talks about heaven, it talks about three different heavens. And I want to look at those in the scriptures with you this morning in the time that we have allotted. And so I'll ask you to go back to where this is first referred to in the Bible. And of course it's in the beginning, in the book of Genesis. Where you'll find the first reference to heaven. And it's the first heaven, if you will. And when we talk about the first heaven... We're talking about the atmospheric heaven. We're talking about that area just above the surface of the earth that is known as the troposphere. Some 20 miles up in the air. And, and, and as the Bible opens up and talking about the marvelous act of God's creative work in creating the world, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 6, I want you to read with me. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. You see at that time in the very beginning. There was nothing but water and darkness and chaos. And the Bible tells us earlier in Genesis chapter 1. That the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And now God is separating the waters. And he brings into existence the firmament. If you drop down to verse 8 you'll see. And it says and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So on that First day, or second day rather, you find God created this first heaven, if you will. And that's the area that is surrounding the earth that we know as our atmosphere. This is the space just above the earth that you find, uh, you know, the air that we breathe. You find all of the winged creatures, whether they be bats or birds. Uh, nowadays, airplanes and helicopters and, and blimps and drones and... Why, you might even find Brother Bob Bennett flying around up there having fun in, in the troposphere. Uh, and so, you know, it's full now. But that's the area in this reference that it's talking about. When we're talking about that first heaven. Not only is it referred to in the Old Testament, and this is just a few of the examples of the scriptures that you'll find. There are plenty of others in the Old Testament. But I want you to see when the Bible talks about the first heaven... It's talking about this space around the earth, the atmosphere, the troposphere, if you will. Sometimes we, we refer to it as simply the sky. Well, so did the Lord. As you go to the Gospel of Matthew, you may recall where Jesus is talking about. He's, he's preaching there in Matthew's Gospel. 
And he talks about in, in chapter 6, verse 26, he talks about the birds of the air. Or in some translations, he says the birds of the heavens. So when he's talking about the birds of the heavens, he's talking about that space where the birds occupy, where the birds fly. I think it's interesting also in the book of James, in James chapter 5, verse 18, James also speaks about this heaven, this sphere around the earth, and he talks about Elijah, that great prophet of old, how Elijah prayed and the heavens gave rain. This is where we get the clouds. And by the way, I was really glad to see that good rain we got last night that came out of the heavens. The the first heaven, if you will. We needed it. Things were pretty dry. So when you hear the scriptures talk about the first heaven, or use the word heaven in that sense, it's talking about the first heaven, the atmospheric heaven. But then as we expand and go higher, we're looking at what would be the second heaven, the planetary, the celestial heaven, if you will. And in the Gospel of Matthew, if you'll turn there, Jesus is preaching. He's, he's, he's teaching and preaching in this very uh, apocalyptic chapter, I guess you would say. Where he's talking about the end times. And, and it's interesting how Jesus uses the reference to heaven in this powerful message in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Matthew 24, 29. Jesus is preaching about the end time, the coming of the Son of Man. And in Matthew 24, 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming of the clouds on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so we see Jesus here talking about that sphere called heaven that is above the first heaven. It's it's what we would call the stratosphere. And that's where we have our planets and that's where we have our moon and that's where the stars and, and all the heavenly bodies are occupied there. The scriptures make reference to this outer reach of the universe as the highest heavens. We have, we have the part of the stratosphere where we have our satellites flying, we have our moon, we have the closest planets. But then, you know, through the, the, the invention of the Hubble telescope, we, we're peering out into the darkness of space. We're seeing regions of this stratosphere, this, this outer space we've never seen before that extends for millions and millions of miles. And so the Scriptures talks about this in Deuteronomy 10.14. It speaks of the, the, the hev- highest heavens. This is all still that second heaven. It speaks in Psalm 148 of the heaven of heavens. Take, take just a moment, and, and I think it's worth your trip back into Psalms to go back to Psalm 148, because in this unique passage in Psalm 148, not only does he talk about in the second heaven, the heavens, the heaven of heavens, the, the outer reaches of the universe, if you would, but in this wonderful passage, if you'll read, just read along with me, in verses 1 through 4, you'll see all three heavens given and referred to by the psalmist. He, he begins in this wonderful psalm of praise. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. So that's the third heaven. We'll get to that in just a minute. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heaven of heavens. 
That's the second heaven. And then he wraps up in verse 4. And you waters above the heavens. Speaking of the canopy of water above in that first heaven. So when the Bible talks about, uses the word heaven, it can be talking of either one of those spheres. But the one that we're going to focus on for the remainder of the message as we move further and then for the course of the remainder of the series is what is called the third heaven. And this is the domain, the domain of God. This is the, the home of God. This is what we typically think of when we think about heaven. It's the place where God dwells. And we'll look at that. But let me just give this disclaimer very quickly. And Solomon pointed this out all the way back in 1 Kings in chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, Solomon made it very clear because he was dedicated in the temple. And as any dedicated Jew and, and anybody who was just in, in awe of the temple of Solomon, and it was a beautiful, majestic, you know, one of the ancient wonders uh, uh, at that time of the world. Listen, anybody that saw that probably thought, oh, this is the house of God. But Solomon, you know, pointed out, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a house dedicated to God, Jehovah. <laughs> but, but understand, you can't contain our God in a, even in a massive building like this. So if you refer to this church or this sanctuary, I've, I've been to the house of God, you know, Solomon wants you to understand. And he goes on in that passage and he says, you, God cannot be contained not in a building, God cannot be contained in the first heaven, not the second heaven. And folks, He can't even be contained in the third heaven, though that is His place of abode. Understand that God, the sovereign, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, unchanging God of the universe, He lives in heaven. That's His abode by choice. But He's not confined to heaven. Because God is not only omnipotent, God is omnipresent. And if you read Psalm 139, the psalmist makes that abundantly clear. Wherever I go, He's there. Wherever you go, He's there. Wherever there is anybody, anything, anywhere, God is there. But the Scriptures do refer to heaven as being that place where God lives. Let's look at Isaiah that wonderful prophet of old, as he talks about this, just, just some references, like I say, out of the Old Testament that helps us to understand that heaven is considered to be the place that God lives. And in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, he says, thus, For thus says the high and lofty one, yet another name of God, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, speaking of heaven, with him who has a contrite, and humble spirit. And, I, and also in that same book, in Isaiah chapter 63, if you'll turn a few pages and look there in verse 15, it talks about God in verse 15, as He looks down from heaven and see your habitation holy and gracious. In other words, what He's saying is God lives there. Psalm 63, we won't turn there. In Psalm 33, I'm sorry, Psalm 33 in verse 13 and 14, it speaks of heaven being the place where God lives. But then also we see plenty of references in the New Testament that talks about heaven is a place where our Heavenly Father lives. No one could testify to that. No one could, could speak of that with more authority than the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the only one who came from heaven and then ascended back into heaven. There's been no other authority on heaven other than the Son of God. And over and over 
in his teachings and his preachings, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you remember, he, he taught his disciples how to pray. And he says, you pray, our Father who art in heaven. Over and over, Jesus talked about my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 32 and 33, you remember this passage where Jesus says, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, he says, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So Jesus was always clear to make it understood by the people that God resided in heaven. The Father resided in heaven. That was a a home of God, if you will. I think one of the the most accurate and, and probably most dramatic descriptions of God in heaven, given by a human being other than Christ, was none other than the first martyr of the church, Stephen. You may recall when we went through the book of Acts, and and I was preaching through the book of Acts, and and, and, and of course Stephen was one of those that was anointed by the Spirit of God to be a deacon in that early church. He was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God, knew the Word of God, and because of that found himself in trouble with the Jewish mob who were getting ready to stone him. And in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, listen to the words uh, uh, of Stephen. This is just before he would die. A martyr's death in Acts chapter 7 verse 55. He says, but he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. I believe with all my heart that what you see given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are the words of a man who was, who was endowed by the Spirit of God to, to look into the very portals of heaven. He wasn't looking at symbols. He wasn't li- looking at, 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 at odd. He was looking directly at the throne of God. And I, I believe... That because of Saul of Tarsus's proximity, closeness to Stephen that day, he saw Stephen. He saw the countenance of his face. Paul heard the words of Stephen when he said that. I don't think Paul ever got over that. I believe the Lord used that experience to etch upon Paul's heart what it meant to be a true follower of Christ and, and maybe was a part of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. So we find this third heaven is described as being above the first heaven and the second heaven, which, which says that by implication then it is a place. Heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is a real place. It is the, in, the habitation of God, but not only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to heaven, we will see the very Holy Trinity there enthroned in that great celestial throne room there in heaven. But heaven, the Bible tells us, is also home to the angels. And of course we know that there are plenty of them. Isaiah in chapter 6 and verse 2, you remember that great vision by that wonderful prophet where he saw in this vision heaven he was he was looking at the throne of God and and there he saw these creatures that that he described they were seraphim and 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 seraphims are type of the heavenly beings that God created to to worship him and they were saying holy 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 
Another great prophet of old, Ezekiel. Ezekiel had a vision of heaven as well. And in that vision in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 5, he saw the four living creatures that are there at the throne of God. And I think it's interesting because you can go all the way to the end of your Bible, to the very last book of the Bible. And I think, it, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's interesting that the Apostle John in this great vision given to him by God of heaven John also sees these four living creatures around the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 6, he says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was a flying eagle. And he says, And the four living creatures, each have, having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Isn't that interesting? That's what the seraphim were saying in the vision that Isaiah had. So these, are the, these also occupy heaven. These are the created beings, if you will, that God has, has placed there for the purpose of worshiping Him. So we find the seraphim are there. They find the living creatures are there. But then also as we look in, in uh, Revelation in chapter 4 verses, uh, well, look at chapter 5. We find that not only are these created beings there, but also we find that there is a multitude of, of, of um, angels there. Look at chapter 5 and verse 11 of Revelation. John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. So in heaven, the, you have the Holy Trinity, you have the created living beings, you have the angels gathered around, you have the elders who are assembled there before the throne of God, but also in chapter 7 of Revelation, John gives us another tidbit of information about who else resides in heaven. In, <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, John says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in heaven we find the Holy Trinity. We find the living beings. We find the elders. We find thousands upon thousands upon thousands, a myriad of angels who are there. But also we find this great multitude of people all over the earth. You know, that's evidence right there that the Great Commission was accomplished. When Jesus says, go into, and make disciples of all the nations, we have evidence right here, looking into the future, given through this vision by Jesus to John, that there were people from every tribe, every language, every nation there. No telling how many Gideon Bibles helped to get them there too. Praise God, you see. There's no, there's no discrimination in heaven, amen? And it shouldn't be here on earth. So now as we, as we move further and, and, and begin to wind down, I want, to, I want you to consider the proximity of, of this third heaven, the, the, the heaven, the abode of God. When we talk about heaven, folks, it, it could be closer than you think. 
It could be closer than you think. You know, Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If, if someone or something is at hand, it's not that far away. It's pretty close. If somebody tells me, hang on, help is at hand, then I know I, I can expect somebody to help me pretty soon. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and, 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 and He manifested that. He manifested that to the people of His day who maybe thought that heaven was off so distant, so unreachable, unfathomable. But then also Jesus taught in John's Gospel chapter 14. You remember this passage, it's a familiar passage. He taught about the place of heaven and that heaven is a work in progress. When he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. He says, you know, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. That where I am, indicating that they weren't in heaven. Heaven is close, but it's not here. Jesus says, if I go... To prepare a place, I'll come again. I'll receive you to take you. In other words, it's somewhere we are headed. You haven't arrived, okay? You can go to the most paradisaical, beautiful, plush vacation spot on the face of the earth. And I got news for you. It might be heavenly, but it ain't heaven. Pardon the English. So people that try to imagine that somehow we bring heaven to earth, that, that our, the only heaven that, that we'll have is here on earth. No, it's not. Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. But heaven is both out of and yet in the midst of this world. And we see this in the very life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. The incarnation of Christ was heaven come to earth. Because if the king comes, I think about if a member of the royal family visits in the United States, you know, it's almost like a piece of England is here. You know, they ride around in their Rolls Royce with the British flag flying on the front, you know, and, and, and everywhere they go, you know, the British national anthem is played, and, you know, and people, even Americans from the South, are trying to talk a little British, you know. It has an impact on the area. So, imagine the Son of God. And Colossians 2.9 tells us that in Him, Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything of God was in the man Christ. And when God descended upon the earth and was incarnated and became a, a human being, fully God, fully man, folks, heaven was on earth. That's why Jesus could say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's closer than you think. And people couldn't fathom that. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. The very Jesus is the only one who carries the name Emmanuel. God is with us. And ladies and gentlemen, God is still with us. His Holy Spirit is still here. Jesus promised His disciples in the Gospel of John. He says, I won't leave you as little orphans. He says, I'll pray the Father in John 14, 16, and He will send another Helper that He may abide with you forever. So you see, the presence of heaven is still here in the presence of God. God's Spirit. Heaven 
currently coexist with our world, yet in another dimension. This, I challenge you, and, and, you know, just try to lay aside some preconceived notions that you may have of heaven and some, you know, stereotypes that we have of heaven. Heaven forbid. (laughs) No pun intended. That your idea of heaven is some plump little doughboy looking angel sitting on a cloud in a diaper strumming on a, a harp with some little wings puffed out on the heaven. God help you if that's what you think heaven is. Just some lazily sit back, easy going. That ain't heaven, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the heaven that the Bible describes. But just, just imagine, try to set aside your notion that heaven is somewhere in the highest heights of the physical dimension that we live in, beyond the celestial heaven that we talked about and examined earlier. The present heaven where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all the created heavenly beings and the angels and the, and the elders and the, and, the, and the saints that have gone on before, maybe closer than you can imagine. Listen to this, Dr. Randy Alcorn, one of the sources that I was reading, Dr. Randy Alcorn reminds us in his book on heaven that cutting-edge researchers in some of the prestigious universities of our time, Yale and Princeton, Stanford, and Wake Forest University, Okay, I added the last one. These prestigious researchers in these prestigious universities embrace a mind-twisting concept in quantum physics. They call it the string theory. In which they postulate that there may be as many as ten unobservable dimensions and an infinite number of universes that coexist with the dimension in which we live that we can't see, but then may very well be there all along. Someone told me that was the very thought that about drove Albert Einstein crazy in his quantum theory and, the, and, and, and talking about the uh, theory of relativity, that this possible quantum theory could exist Listen, this quantum theory may puzzle men, but you know something? To an infinitely powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God, it can be a simple thing. That may help to explain how a man called Stephen could actually glimpse and see the very throne room of God. If God opened up the portal of that dimension called heaven, that spiritual dimension and allowed Stephen to see, it may help to explain. Now I'm just saying, just just let your mind kind of wrap around this. Sometimes we think about heaven as being way up there when in reality it could be closer than we think. This may help to explain how Jesus, as He hung on the cross and as He he pardoned a, 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 a converted thief on the cross, how Jesus could say, this day, this day, you will be with me in paradise. And then you have to explain how throughout the Scriptures when we see angels coming in and out, in and out, not only angels, but heavenly armies 
transported from the celestial room of God right here on earth in an instant. It might help to explain or help us to put our minds around how Paul could say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When physics tell us it take a person, it take it will take a person a lifetime, a lifetime, traveling at the speed of light, just to traverse the known universe in which we live. Something to think about. The scripture tells us in Matthew 19, 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Folks, do you understand? Our God is not limited by time. Our God is not confined by space. Nor is His heaven. Dr. John MacArthur states this in his book on heaven. He says that so heaven is not confined to one locality marked off by boundaries that can be seen or measured. It transcends the confines of time and space. Now, the congregation knows, Brother Roy, that I'm somewhat of a science fiction fan with some limitations. And so, you know, I, 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 I enjoy these programs that bend your mind a little bit, such as, you know, quantum leaping and time travel and things like that. In fact, I remember a Star Trek episode where they, the Starship Enterprise was hijacked by these supposedly futuristic hippies. <laughs> the writers had to be creative. But they hijacked Jack, Captain James Kirk and Spock and Chekhov, the whole crew and the Enterprise and made them set their course beyond the charts that they had past the black hole out into the, the far reaches of the universe. <laughs> I get excited. They were going to heaven. They were going to go to heaven on the Enterprise. Of course, you know, it ended up, it was a fluke. There was a place out there and it did appear to have some qualities, but it turned out it was all a hoax. Hey folks, you, you, by, by human means, you can't travel to heaven. You can get the fastest spaceship. I know they're talking about going to Mars. One way trip. I don't think I want to sign up for that. <laughs> Maybe some of you young people do. <laughs> but, but the idea, traveling fast as you want, you can't travel to heaven. It's not a matter of distance. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is created by God. And, and so, some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, where is the preacher going with this series? Well, just put your seatbelts on. Because I, I dare say that in, in the upcoming messages, the Scriptures will challenge you to think about some preconceived old notions that we used to have, or maybe have, about heaven that might not be as biblical as you think. Such as the fact that maybe it, it exists in a different dimension, but in parallel with where we are. And finally, I want to say this. Heaven exists within the life of every true believer. 
We talk about heaven there. But Jesus said this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. And I'm about to close. In Luke 17, listen to what Jesus said. In verse 20 and 21. Now when He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is wherever the king is. And if by faith you have repented of your sins, confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, made a serious commitment to follow Him and to be obedient to Him and to trust Him, then you have the very presence of the essence of Christ by the Spirit of God living in you. And wherever the King is, ladies and gentlemen, therein is the kingdom. So the kingdom of God in its earthly manifestation is in the hearts of those of us who are followers of Christ. Wherever we are, we represent the kingdom. And we are in Christ and He is in us. And Paul says in Ephesians in chapter 1 that because of that, in Christ, we have every heavenly blessing. You are there with Christ. You are in Christ. So, I know, it's hard to imagine. But in Christ, you are already there. You have access to all the heavenly blessings that a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're there, but yet He's here in you. There's that coexistence. And every true believer is already a citizen of heaven. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new things have come. You are a citizen of heaven even before you get there. We need to live like that. Our lives need to reflect that we're not just earthbound dwellers of this planet caught up in the lures of materialism and sensualism and all the humanism and all of that. We are citizens of heaven. Heaven is in us. And we're headed there. And our citizenship, our eternal passport says destination heaven. And I say praise God. Stay tuned for the rest of this story.